Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Barry Moore. My next guest is a popular content creator and father of four. In 2018, he took a chance and left the security of his day job and sales to dedicate his full attention to arguably the most trafficked web destination for off-road motorcycle enthusiasts, the Dirt Bike Channel. Coming up next, this is Kyle Brotherson. I guess the things I'd like to to talk about, um, dirt bikes, obviously, because you're like the dirt bike guy. Uh, how you how you made the transition from the corporate world to, or not making the transition, but making the decision to pull the trigger and just yeah. trust it. I, I know you told some of the stuff before, even on your own in your own podcasts. So I don't really want to go over too much on beaten beaten paths because I mean, if people wanted to know this stuff, they could just find it essentially. But, yeah, but I'm uh, okay. I'm okay. I'm okay to going into it again. Cause this is your, you know, your deal. So I'm totally fine to answer any questions you've got. Okay, sweet. Um, I would, uh, going back through your history, uh, cause I guess I, I found you, uh, you helped out a friend of mine. He was trying to make decisions on a dirt bike. He emailed you, you called him up and then you guys were just talking and then he ended up buying a KTM XC, uh, and just whatever. He went raving on about this cool guy on the internet who, uh, buys and tests his own bike like you, you put your money where your mouth is and uh that was pretty pretty amazing so it started to follow you uh in your career from then i think that was probably in 2019 um so i know you launched dirt bike channel in 2018 or or you went full-time in 2018 yeah it was i went full-time in 2018 i kind of people ask me when did it start and it started a long time before that technically mm-hmm. i incorporated in 2015 but I was doing videos um, long before that, long, long before. I've kind of done videos forever. Yeah. Um, and I started making some dirt bike videos probably around 2013. And so there was like kind of a two-year period there where I was making some videos, but it wasn't it wasn't like as intense, like as yeah. regular. Okay. And then by 2015, I was like, you know what? I ought to just incorporate this as, as an LLC. Um and then it progressed from there. And then towards the end of 2018, it was kind of like one of those things where, you know, you'd had, you'd always thrown this number out on a, maybe on a spreadsheet or something. You said, Hey, look, if, if my side hustle was ever doing X amount, yeah. um, then I should go into it full time. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I was just working and doing things and, uh, Finally, I realized there in the summer of 2018, I got looking at some of my documents and I'm going, oh, shoot, this thing, (laughs) this thing is actually going to exceed the amount that I said it would have to be at in order for me to go full time. And then that that was the terrifying jump right there. I mean, because you had to I had to decide like that was really putting my money where my mouth was buying bikes and reviewing bikes and making videos and this other stuff. That is, that's minor leagues compared to, hey, I'm going to see if I can lean into these income streams that I've developed 
such that it pays my mortgage, my health insurance, all of these things. And, Mm -hmm. and that was terrifying. And I remember my wife was kind of terrified, but it it worked out. So, I mean, that's kind of a long answer for that, but that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. It's, uh, um, my, my side hustle is, uh, doing like weddings and events. And, uh, this year I, or well in 2019, I thought I'd hit the threshold and almost went into it full time. And I'm glad that I didn't because of what 2020 brought us like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a scary thing and, and you never really know what the future is going to hold. And, and people ask me, sorry, I'll turn my phone silent. People ask me, you know, um, what was that jump like? And, I'm really glad that I didn't early, I didn't do it earlier than I did because I feel like if I had jumped any earlier into it full time than, than what I did, it wouldn't have worked. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I had to have, you know, a quite a bit of financial runway, um, in the bank saved yep. up and you know, it, it takes capital. And so far I haven't had to bar- borrow any money to do this, but th- and that that's, that's probably highly unusual. Most of the time for a small business, you'd probably need to borrow money. Um, yeah. Mine was a little different because I, I just, I let the business kind of grow organically and it never had to make money. You know? okay. So that, that was the other thing that I think was really useful is, is what I ended up building um, wasn't forced to produce money right off the bat. And I think that was one of the secrets, secrets to its success. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the old adage that um, if you're doing something that you love, you never work a day in your life. But I, I think even if that were true, you still work a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get the, I get the sentiment. I get yeah. the idea of what they're trying to say, yeah. but I call BS on it. I work, you- I work like a dog. I'm doing something that I love. At least yeah. there are parts of it that I love. That's the funny thing with this is it's not like I don't love every part of it. But there are, you know, there are parts of it that I do really love. And then there are parts of it that I like. And then there are parts of it that I hate, just like with anything else, you know, and I and so yeah, if you if you could actually be doing something that you love, let's say it's a, you know, let's say it's a 40 hour work week. And in that 40 hour work week, it was all things that I just loved, then yeah, maybe you could say I felt like I never worked a day in my life. But who has that really? Our jobs are so are so, you know, mix with, uh, you've got to have this hat on and this hat on and this hat on, and you've got to complete this task and that task and that task. And there's this deadline and that deadline. And not all of those things are pleasant to do. In fact, probably most of them are a little unpleasant to do. And so that's where, and and we'll probably get into this later, but people ask me all the time, like, or they say to me all the time, like, Oh, I mean, I wish I had your job. It must be a dream job. And, and the quick and easy answer is just to be like to, to smile and say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. But behind yeah. that, there's always this sentiment behind me where I'm just like, how much should I get into them? How much should I get into this? Because the truth is you probably would hate this job. You say that you like this job because you have a, per, you have a perception of what it is. You're like, oh, look, this guy's just riding dirt bikes all the time. And you know, he's making money. How great is that? What they don't see is like riding dirt bikes is maybe 2%, 3% of it. And yeah. all, and that, but that's the thing that they think I'm doing the most. And that's the thing that is probably the most fun. Yeah. They don't get to see the 97% of other things that are, are maybe a step down or maybe six or seven steps down from that, you know? And so a lot of people would be really shocked to find out that my job is 
is not very much different than what their job is. And the things that they don't like about their job, I have that too. Yeah. And so it's just, but I, I, there's no way to know that until you, until you get into it. Um, but it's always that thing, like, how much do I tell people? Cause I don't want to come across like I'm, uh, ungrateful or whatever and yeah. say like, no, my job actually sucks, you know, <laughs> you know, but there are times where I'm like, man, this sucks. And I don't think people realize that. How do you face those days? Like, uh, you know, if you have a job that doesn't, that you don't enjoy or whatever, a lot of people can find a way out or like find an alternative. Um, but this is, you're, you're the boss. Like you're also the, the employee, <laughs> you're the major shareholders. Like, uh, you can't just walk away from them plus your family. So does it make it tough? Yeah. I mean, it does make it tough. And that's one of the things that I, I think. I think the thing that surprised has continued to surprise me the most about owning my own business and, and being a quote YouTuber, people say I'm a YouTuber. I don't feel like I'm a YouTuber because I don't make, you know, I mean, I make, there's, there is some money yeah. that comes in off YouTube, but it's not enough to where I feel like YouTube pays my bills. YouTube doesn't pay my bills. No, I don't <laughs> they, they pay a piece of the bill. And so I feel like going into this, the, the surprising thing is just how, that's how the stress differs from what I did prior. So to give a little bit of a background prior, the job that I had for the, for the 11 years preceding me quitting it was an enterprise sales representative at an online security company. So I sold uh, security products to companies like Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, LinkedIn and, and just a thousand other companies that no one's ever heard of. So I had accounts that I managed that were these huge, huge companies, Facebook and Twitter and link. Well, I didn't do LinkedIn, but the point is we had these major, major companies, Amazon. Amazon was one of the companies that I managed as far as we would sell these products to Amazon or Facebook and, and they took a ton of my time. And, and there was a lot of pressure with that because here I was, I was either, you know, the first, second or third uh, sales guy in the, in these companies. And when I say that, I, I don't want to, I'm not like trying to boast or anything. I'm just saying that I ended up being, I was either the, you know, the top guy, depending on the quarter, the top guy, the second guy, or maybe the third guy. I don't think I was ever lower than the third guy in a company where we had, you know, 12, well, in the end we had 1200 employees. Crazy. And it, and so there's a pressure. There's like there's like a pressure that's associated with that. You you have to meet these sales quotas and you have to, you know, do these different things that are put in front of you and the company expects a lot because you're selling product for, you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation now. And there's there's pressure that goes along with that. And so you kind of get used to that. You get used to that level of pressure. And it kind of felt like after a while what it really felt like is Physically, the pressure from that could be related to, you know, maybe you're on a play. I've never been in a play, but like, imagine if you're on a play or in a movie and you've got these um, lights that are shining down on you and they're like the stage lights and yeah. you feel the heat of that. You get to, you, you get to feel like how that affects you. And that was what that job was like. And I got used to it. Then I go into, I, I quit that job. I go full-time into dirt bike channel. And I thought I knew what the stress level was going to feel like because I'd been doing it on the side and yeah. it, it felt like, well, you'll be able to dump that pressure of those big, you know, stage lights from this other company that you used to work for. And your stress will just kind of be lifted or whatever. What I found though, <laughs> was actually just quite the opposite. Now I felt the same amount of stress 
but it didn't feel like a stage light was on me. It felt like a spotlight was on me. Oh, wow. And so instead, instead of, you know, having whatever 1200 candle power, uh, light shining at you in with these stage lights, you had a 1200 candle power. I'm just throwing these things out like spotlight hitting you. And so technically speaking, it wasn't more stress, but it was more focused. Yeah. It was more focused on you because of what you alluded to earlier. You are the boss. You are the chief marketer. You are, you know, the HR, there's no one else to blame. And so there's nowhere to share that stress. And it has had a physical effect on me in, in, in a way that I have had to, you know, look for counseling and try to figure out ways of managing that stress. And I never would have known that I wouldn't have guessed that if you would have asked me this, you know, three years ago, I, I would have been like, no, I I'll be able to handle that. And I'm not saying that I'm not handling what I'm saying is I've had to learn ways to manage that stress because it's a different thing. It's more acute, more, yes. more focused and, and more of a physical thing where it actually, I didn't, I didn't know that stress was affecting me physically before. Cause it wasn't quite so focused on me. I get it. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you're in one of those jobs they talked about when we were kids that won't exist. Nobody knows what they are yet, uh, but they're going to exist and you need to be ready. <laughs> so you're like on, on the leading edge of a career path that you really you have very few peers you can turn to and say, what's it like? Like, how are you dealing with the stress of of um, mountain bike channel? <laughs> there is nobody yeah. there, you know. Yeah, and, and maybe and maybe there is and, and maybe I would be better off to reach out to some of these people, but I... I'm just kind of, and people wouldn't believe this, but I'm anti kind of antisocial. My wife knows. Yeah. Um, but, and it's surprising for a lot of people to hear that because I, I can talk to anybody and I've yep. made a living out of talking to people in more ways than one. If you're in sales, which is pretty much all I've ever done, you're, you're in a business of getting uncomfortable and going and talking to someone about a certain thing. Yeah. And, and so that's what you're kind of doing in front of a camera is you're getting uncomfortable you're being vulnerable because even if you appear super confident in front of a camera, you're, you're just spouting things off the hip. Now, maybe you created like a little bit of an outline. Maybe you had a bullet point or a bullet list that you want to go through, which sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't, but in the end, you're going to record something. You're going to put it out on YouTube and it's going to stand. It's going to stand for six years, seven years, and people are going to come back to you and ask you and make make opinions and judgments about you by what you said six years ago. And they're going to hold you to a stand, hold you to the standard that this is what, this is how you still feel. And it's not, it's not a fair way to, you know, represent people, but that's kind of what we do as a society. And so when you turn on a camera and you create a YouTube video, it's a vulnerable situation because you have to push that out of your mind. You can't think about you know, the, the 10,000 people that will watch it and you can't, and you have to purposely push it out of your mind that people are going to continue to watch this for five, 10 years. And they're going to make judgments about you. And you might be wrong. You have to be okay with the fact that your opinion might evolve. You could be wrong and you might get mud, you might get egg on your face, you know? And so that's a vulnerable place to be. And, and so when people find out that, well, Kyle's not really a super social guy. He's not a social butterfly. My wife is. It's kind of it's kind of surprising to them, but it's it's just one of those things where I do what I have to do when I and it's not that I'm a different person. I'm not saying yeah. I'm a different person in the camera than I am off the camera. But if you gave me the chance of, you know, being if if I go to a party, I would be more comfortable being the guy that just kind of sits over in the edge and talks to one guy. 
Yeah. Um, I don't want to be the life of the party that goes in there and has everyone looking at them. I, I don't want to be that guy. If, if it comes out that I'm supposed to talk in front of the people, I can totally do that, but I'd rather be the guy over in the corner, just talking to one, one person, you know, yeah, you're comfortable in the spotlight. You don't seek it. It's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. I'm comfortable with the spotlight, but I'm not looking to be in it all the time yeah. for sure. That's sweet. Uh, go, going through some of your old uh, podcast episodes, you talk about when you were a youth uh, going up to Canada in Ontario to knock on doors and sort of spread the gospel kind of thing. Did, did, do you think, feel like that uh, helped you, I don't know, with your own self-confidence, like just being able to put yourself out there? Because that's got to be pretty hard, the first few door knocks to try and talk to people. Yeah. So for people who don't know, because they might know, know what you're talking about, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one of the things that we, most of the young men do is they serve like a two-year mission. Yeah. And you're going out there and you're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're trying to essentially educate people about it. In a lot of ways, it was really good training as a salesman. And yeah. I think of those, I think of those two years that I spent up there as kind of like my introduction to sales. Yeah. And when I think about what I've done in my life, I feel like I am in sales now and it started then because I don't really think I was selling much before that time. I worked as a, I worked at a service station. I did some farm work and stuff from a small town in Utah. Um, but I, I wasn't really doing sales. Once I entered into that quote mission field up there in Ontario, Canada, then it was, it was sales. And as much as you're doing missionary work and as much as you're trying to spread the gospel, you're selling something. Yeah. If you're knocking on doors, you're selling something yeah. and, and you have, you have to be, and sometimes that might make some religious people. It might make some church leaders or whatever kind of, they might, it might ruffle some feathers to hear somebody like me say that, but Hey, look, you're selling something, you yeah. know, you're selling a way of life. You're selling a moral compass, whatever it is. And, and you've got, you've got to be able to present it in a way that doesn't put people off and that teaches you about sales. And so I feel like that was kind of like my first foray, maybe my associate's degree or whatever, or my, my initial bachelor's degree was, was going up there and knocking on doors and it's scary. And I, and I still get even, and sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm mean, but even this week I was sitting out on the, on my front porch and two guys walked up to me and they were obviously selling something, you know, they're, they're probably with a solar company or something. And I was nice. They, they just come up to me. They didn't even have to knock on the door because I'm sitting there eating my lunch on the front steps of my house. And they're like, uh, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. And I'm like, okay, where, where's the pitch in my head? I'm going, where's the pitch? And the guy says, are you the homeowner? And I said, yep. And then he starts and I just waited until he identified what he was selling. And yeah. he said the name of his company it had something to do with solar. And I said, hold, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you right there. I want to save your time and mine. I am not interested in what you're selling. And every moment that we continue to talk is a waste of your time and mine. And <laughs> I'm just like, I just want to be honest with you. And he and, and then he, he goes back into his pitch. It was just, it was, it was like, I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, oh. I know that you're selling solar. I don't, I not going to buy solar. doesn't matter what you say. I'm not going to buy solar right now. It's not that I'm a, a it's not no, that I have I mean, anything against solar. If I, if I hadn't lived in this house so long, I think I would, but 
I, I kind of want to move out of my current house and get into something else. So the very, so my next house, yeah, I'm totally interested in solar, but not in this one. And so, and so I wanted to just let him know like, Hey, let's stop right there. And he goes straight back into his pitch. And I think he was training somebody. And so he, he probably wants to not look, you know, show like you can push through concerns or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not listening. Every moment you spend right now speaking is a waste of your time and mine. And I don't want that to happen. And at that point he finally keyed in and he's like, okay, this is a hard no. And now we can move on. And that's something that I don't think a lot of salesmen realize is that it's good to push to that. No, the worst thing that can happen is for us to sit there. And like, if I sat there and pretended to be interested and I was too polite to tell him that I'm not interested, I'm literally just wasting his time, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I just want to be upfront with people and be like, Hey, look, I'm not interested. And that's something that I learned in Canada, knocking on doors. Like people will tell you straight up, Hey, I'm not interested in that. I don't care about your religion. I'm Buddhist. I'm whatever. (laughs) And that's fine. And, and it's nice to know where people stand and that, that kind of, you know, education started up there in Ontario, Canada. That's sweet. Yeah. We had uh, a young pair of guys come to my house and uh, it was just basically, uh, you're not going to convert us. Like we're we're always going to religion or whatever. Like we, we had our own thing, Roman Catholic, but if you, if you're still in the neighborhood at the end of the day, you're always welcome back for dinner. So the two yeah. guys, they did their thing and they came back. They still tried to convert us to the Church of Latter-day Saints, but uh, in the end, we just sort of like shelved it all and just talked, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, and just relax. It's good. You know, it's funny. I, cause people talk about Jehovah's Witnesses doing that too. And I've never had a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door. And if yeah. they did, if they did, I would totally let them in. And I, I would, you know, just because it's like, Hey, I've been there. I know what that's like. I would let them in. I would ask. I would ask sincere questions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because it, it, it's hard. Like if you've done that gig, it's hard, especially you're not even getting paid. At least if no. you're selling solar or pest control or any of these other things, there's like a monetary value to it. Yeah, there's something. When you're quote selling religion, and that'll probably rub a bunch of people wrong, but, oh, but that's, that's kind of right. what it is. When you're selling religion, man, like you gotta, you gotta have your motivation squared away because you're not being motivated by money. I mean, you don't get compensated in any monetary way. So you yeah. got, you gotta be into it. Fair enough. Um, so while you were walking around in Canada, cause I imagine that's the, what the ultimate mode of transport when you're doing door knocking, uh, what'd you think? Like, uh, did, did you get any crazy stories? Like what's the craziest story that, that, uh, came from door knocking? You know, it's funny because I don't remember. I, I feel like I've forgotten almost oh. everything that's ever happened to me. Um, <laughs> my wife laughs. And sometimes I, I sometimes I get back with um, different guys that I served with because you, you live with you live with what they call a companion. Yeah, you're constantly with another person. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll get in touch with those guys. Like we'll go to lunch or something and, and they'll tell me these stories and I don't even remember. I'm hearing it like for the first time, you know, they'll be like. Hey, remember when this happened or whatever? And it's as if I'm hearing it for the first time, but I, I I don't know. There were some, there were some fun things. I mean, we had some times where, you know, we helped out with accidents. Um, we had some times where, you know, you're this, you're this hot blooded teenage kid, like eight, 19 years old, 20 years old. And, and then some girl will come up to you and she'll just taunt you and like, yeah, you know maybe be not wearing as much as she would normally wear. And maybe, and maybe she might even pull that off. 
that top off and you have to just like, Hey, look, I'm here for a specific person purpose. That is yeah. not it. Yeah. And, and then you have to turn and walk away. And there, there was a lot of really cool things that happened. It was a pretty, it was a pretty transformative time of my life. And, and, um, it, it really changed the course of my life, you know, cause you have to figure out what type, what type of person you want to be, what your value system really is. And, and, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. So there, there was a lot of little interesting things that happened, but no, like major, you know, no. major miracles or things that, that I would say that some people see. And, and I also wouldn't say that, you know, one thing I've learned in my life is there's so much truth in so many, like we, we focus far too much on the differences of our opinions, whether it's, even if it's religion is one politics is one, but we, as people, we like to focus on what makes us different. Yeah. And I liked to focus on at that time. And I still, I still do now. I like to focus on the things that we have in common. Yeah. And that, that's a, that was a huge like life lesson for me then. And it's something that I try to remember now is I definitely have differences with people, but it's, it was super surprising to me because I would, I would meet people from countries that I'd never heard of. You know, I specifically remember one was like Mauritius, you know, okay. I'd never heard of the country Mauritius. Nope. It's a little teeny Island off the coast of Madagascar. Okay. At that time, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have probably have been able to even point to Madagascar on a map and I'd never heard of Mauritius. Funny thing though, is here's a person I'm talking to from Mauritius, a place that could have been make believe. And yet we, we had a lot in common, you know, obviously our skin color was different. Our complete like orthodoxy of what I believe about God was different. But yet when you start getting into the weeds, we, we believed so many of the same things. And I was like, man, I have so much in common with all of these people across the globe. And it, it was, it's just a nice thing to, to learn and to carry you through for the rest of your life. And, and it goes even now, you know, I just got off the phone with a gentleman, you know, that was in New Jersey and we were talking dirt bikes and, you know, he's 10 years ahead of me in life. He's I'm 39, he's 49. But when we really got talking about what's important and what he thinks is important, I mean, we're very, very similar. And I, I feel like, especially nowadays, we're so divided, especially here in the United States, we're so yeah. divided. We need to get back to remembering that we are brothers and we are sisters and we are humans and we don't have to agree with everything that we, you know, every thought, but we have so much more in common than we have apart, you know, and I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to move the needle on that, but I think we need to get back as a society to remembering that let's not focus on the differences. Let's focus on our similarities and, and build on those common beliefs and move the needle forward in whatever endeavor it is in our life. Yeah. I, I think it happens like one conversation at a time because uh, I've helped out a number of people uh, on motorcycles and I never bothered to ask them beforehand if they were uh, pro or against Trump or, you know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. really give it. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter on that level, right? If you're, yeah. if you're trying to help them on something yeah. like motorcycles or whatever it is, it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if they're Republican, you know, and, and Someone I wish that we could get back to that. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has to start taking care of their neighbor again, like for, for, for like just genuinely care for them. Uh, and if we just keep do it to the house on the left and the house on the right, and everybody does it all the way down their street. Everybody be careful. Like, um, yeah. but 
maybe we're far away from that. Who knows? Another another election cycle or solar eclipse. <laughs> or, or maybe we're not. Maybe we're not as far away from it as we think. I mean, the the news wants you to believe that we're super divided. Yeah. If you look at say Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it seems like we're totally divided. But then we're just kind of being fed a certain stream of information, and That's maybe right. that isn't maybe that isn't reality because when I, when I watch, you know, what happened on January 6th in the Capitol here, the United States, I was horrified when I, and I, I saw what was being posted on social media. I posted something that I even took down. I said, Hey, look, I'm, I'm too emotionally charged to to put this. And so I like deleted a post and then put something back up. And I said, let's be a uniter. And I, I feel like maybe we're not because it felt like everything was coming apart, but then I would, I continued to do my gig and talk to people all day long. And it felt like I, it didn't seem like it was as bad when I was just talking to people one-on-one and having interactions with my neighbors and having interaction was interactions with people on dirt bike channel. And, you know, on one way, it looked like the country was about ready to come apart. But then on, in all these other areas, I was like, Hey, there's a ton of good people out here and, and other people are worried about it just like I am. And, and we, and we want to move forward and be part of the solution. And so I don't know how close we are. I don't, I don't really know how divided we are. I know the news says we're divided. I know that if yeah. you look for division, you can see it, but maybe if we're looking for unification, you know, and that maybe that's what we should be doing is stop focusing on that negative, stop focusing on how we're, much we're divided and start really focusing on how much we are together on things and it would move the needle. Yeah. Fair enough. A new perspective, a, a more positive perspective. You're a dad of four kids and they, they all ride. How excited do you get about level up moments like when they achieve new new heights and new goals? Like, does that, I don't know, get you excited? Yeah, it really does. I've got four kids. My oldest is, uh, she's a, she's like 15. She'll be 16 this summer. And she doesn't ride that much. She's more like a casual, if we're going camping, she'll ride. And then I've got two boys in the middle that are both riders. And then I've got a three-year-old daughter who who doesn't ride yet, but she she will. We'll get a bike for her. So I've mainly been able to watch that progression with my two sons. And that's been super, um, gratifying. It's, it's a lot of work and yeah. it's been a lot of work over all the years, but it's really rewarding when you get to see their confidence level go up when they do, you know, maybe some trail or some obstacle or whatever that they would have been scared to do two or three years before. And so you get to see this progression with them and it's, it's super rewarding as a father. It's, it's just as rewarding, if not more so, to watch your kid do something as it is for you to be able to do it. Yeah. And and then the other part that's, that's fun about doing this as a family is you as the dad, you'll go out and you'll do some ride or, or whatever, and you'll think about how beautiful a certain area is or a certain trail is. And what you kind of want to do right away is share that. You want to share that you know experience and that trail with your family members and when you, when you're teaching your kids to do it, you're like, it gives you something to look forward to. Hey, I'm going to bring you back here and we're going to experience this together. And that gives you something to kind of look forward to. And then when you are able to bring, you know, either your daughter or your son or even your wife, you know, my wife doesn't, isn't into it, but if you have that to look forward to, it gives you kind of like an extra layer of satisfaction on top of what you're, you're already doing. And then, then, um, pretty rewarding to be out on some of those rides when you haven't, you're not working as hard as you used to. You used to be helping the kid up every, you know, two or three minutes cause they tipped over and, or, or whatever and making mistakes. And now they're not making those same mistakes anymore. 
and you're just able to kind of enjoy the ride. And that's super rewarding. Like now I'll go out with my boys and I mean, I'm not riding as fast with them as I do with my other riding buddies, but they are going fast enough in a lot of the trails that it's actually fun, you know, Oh, nice, super, super fun where they're going fast enough that I'm now creating, I'm, I'm choosing like, I'm looking for creative lines to follow behind them, but it's happening fast enough where it's like, oh, I missed that one. Like it used to be that I'd have to get so creative behind them. I was a little bit bored, you know, but now they're going fast enough. I'm not bored anymore. You know, it's like, I'm still trying to look for creative things to do or whatever. Um, but things are happening fast enough that I'm like, I missed that. You know, yeah, they're, they're clipping on, clip along pretty good. And so I feel like I'm kind of in this really cool stage and where my son is 12, he hasn't kind of hit puberty or a growth spurt yet. Once he does, he's on an 85. Now we just moved him to an 85, but I feel like the day there will, there will be a day here in the next three years when one of these boys, probably the older one at first will pass me and there'll be nothing I can do about it. That's awesome. You know? And I, it's almost like you have, and that'll be that'll be hard in some ways. I mean, it'll be humil, it'll be humbling in some ways, but in other ways, it'll be really, really gratifying. And so I know it's coming. I know it's coming. You, it's like you're out on the freeway and you know, that car is going to catch you. You see this car in the mirror and it's a mile back there and you know, it's coming faster than you. You just don't know exactly when it's going to get there, but you're, you're cognizant of it. You're aware of it. And that's how I kind of, how I feel with these boys is I'm like, Hey, I know they're back there. And at a certain point, the, the teacher, you know, the, the student is going to become the master. And yeah. my, my only hope is that at that time when they're able to pass me, um, they'll get hung up on an obstacle and I'll then pass them again, you know, where it's just like, okay, so maybe you have the speed, uh, but you don't have all the things that this, this sport isn't just about speed and get to kind of put it back in there, put it back to them, but this should be pretty fun. Yeah. There, there's a lot more than just the throttle. There's the clutch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all that. So do you, do you, um, imagine sort of like a dirt bike channel legacy, like where they come onto the staff team and, uh, start putting out content and you, you sit back some, <sighs> maybe, I yeah. mean, it's, it kind of goes back to what you said. Things are evolving so fast. I mean, naturally, I guess it's naturally like the boys have said, and they usually say it to my wife. This is, they usually tell, they'll be talking to my wife and she'll be like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And they'll, they've said like, oh, I want to do a YouTube channel like dad has. Yeah. And I'm not encouraging that. I'm not discouraging that, but I feel like the technology and these, these little markets are moving so fast. I have no idea if that will be a viable way to make a living in 10 years from now. Well, yeah, it could change. My gut feeling is it will change. It it will change enough that what I'm doing now probably won't be available for them to do. Yeah. But then going back to your your question, is it something that maybe I could just evolve this and then I could do with them? I think that's I think that's probably pretty likely. I think if if what I'm doing continues to work and it will yeah. have to constantly evolve and and if I had these two helpers, at least my two boys that wanted to help me to create regular content and, and kind of expand the little universe, yeah. you know, because the, if you look at my demographics, I'm pretty high with people who are in my, within 10 years, both sides of my age range. I'm not as high with, you know, 15 year olds or whatever, yeah. you know? And so 
I'm, I'm pretty good with 25 to 45 and then it, it dips off on both sides. So I am aware of the fact that like, Hey, one of the ways to grow this might be to get my sons more involved. Neither one of them are really that they're really that comfortable in front of the camera right now. It's probably yeah. a learned thing, but it does cross my mind. I feel like it, it might be the way to go. Um, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to force them into anything, you know? So I, oh, I try to involve them here and there. And I think if they, if they want to have more involvement, I'll totally, uh, be, I'll be okay with that, but I yeah. don't want to force them into like, Hey, this is the family business and this is what we're doing. I've encouraged them even here at the, a young age to like military service. It's one yeah. of the things that I came super, super close to doing multiple times, but never really did. I was in, I, I almost joined the, the, um, National Guard a couple times when I was in high school, um, before that, before that, you know, my mission experience in Canada, I took the ASVAB, which is kind of like the military aptitude test. And I took that in high school. Some, some listeners will know what that is. And as soon as I took the ASVAB, I had military recruiters knocking on my door, visiting me at school, pulling me out of class, like hitting me up when I would get out of the shower. I mean, it was, it was kind of intense. Um, and they were all just promising the world, right? You can have any job you want, you know? And I'm like, I want to be a fighter pilot. That's what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to be Maverick from Top Gun. And, you know, and they were all, obviously the, the army didn't say they could make that no. happen, but, but the air force and the Marines and the Navy, they're like, absolutely. You can come be a fighter pilot. Look at this, your score on the ASVAB, you can do anything you want, you know? And then I get you know, kind of later, I see how much competition there is in all this stuff. I enrolled in the ROTC at BYU, um, Reserve Officer Training Corps for the Air Force. I was in that for a little while. And man, I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning and going to these PT things and, and like doing all this stuff. And I just didn't quite know if I realized at that point, it was going to be really hard to get. I mean, I was, I was like, I want to fly an F-22. Yeah. Or an F-35. At that, at that point, you know, it's F, F-22, F-35. And I realized how much competition there was just in the one ROTC branch that I was at. And that was just one of the little, you know, feeders that's going to feed up into this thing yeah. where ultimately a couple, you know, 10 flight spots are going to get kicked out on the other side. And I'm doing the math, you know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm a realist and numbers mean things to me. And I was looking at this, I'm going, holy crap. There's probably going to be two people that are awarded fighter, like probable fighter positions from my Air Force ROTC group here. And there's hundreds of us. There's yeah. like 500 of us. And maybe two or three guys are going to be awarded that thing where you get to go to the next level. And I don't, I don't remember all the, all the details, but I was just like, dang, this is probably not going to happen. But I, I have encouraged my boys to be like, hey, you know, the military would be a great way for you to get some experience. You know, if they decide to serve missions like I do, did great. But if they don't, and even if they do, I think military service would be a great thing. There's a ton of things that you can do in the military here in the United States. It's not all like infantry. There's thousands yeah. of jobs. You can oh, yeah. be in there for two years, four years, six years, get, you know, some military benefits, get them to pay for your college and, and come out with some life skills and find out maybe what you want out of life. And yeah. it's, it's always been kind of a little bit of a, little bit of a, a regret. I mean, I, I don't want to look back too much because everything kind of worked out, but, um, it's all, there's always been just like this feeling that I probably should have served because I was so close twice. I mean, 
I can't say that I'm, I served in the military if I just did a semester or two in, in the ROTC. Yeah. Um, but I was so close that it, it feels like that probably should have been something that I should have prioritized a little bit higher. And I, I encourage my boys to do that because I think it would be a good, it could give you a really good foundation, obviously. Oh, maybe in a parallel universe, there's Top Gun Kyle <laughs> flying there. Probably, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, you're saying YouTube as a platform isn't paying the bills. It's it's just like sort of like a revenue stream, like a minor revenue stream. And it seems that they're uh, uh, drying out the revenue for a lot of uh, content creators. You don't strike me as being in the category that's at greatest risk because the most controversial thing you'll ever do is say, like KTM is better than somebody else or whatever. You're like, you're not talking politics on your channel and you're certainly not talking guns or anything like that. So do you think that uh, YouTube is going to, as a platform, maybe just dry up on for everybody, for all the providers? I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be, I think it'll be continue. It'll continue to be the major video service um, out there. There are obviously others, um, yeah. but they're so far behind. And, yeah, so. and I get people saying like, oh, you should move over to this place because they're not, you know, restricting free speech. And, and a lot of guys know that I'm a gun guy. I've got, I, I don't have them here in this view or in this thing, but in my house, I have a, I have a gun or multiple guns on every level of my home. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't, don't know that. I, so I'm a big, you know, gun person, but I have these people say, oh, you should move your, your YouTube channel off over to this XYZ service or whatever, because they're not restricting free speech. And I'm like, well, it's a little more nuanced than that. Um, and I don't really want to get into that political discussion, but you can't like in the knit, in the niche that I'm in, which is dirt bikes, it's, it's a niche market. There's, there's automotive, which is huge. Yeah. And then we can slice it slice the demographics down, you know, more to like cars and trucks and motorcycles. And so now I'm in the motorcycle niche and then I'm not. And then inside of that niche, we can slice it down even more. You've got the enduro side of things. You've got the racing side of things. You've got the motocross side of it. And I'm kind of not really any of those. I'm just like the trail rider guy. So maybe it's enduro. And so I've already sectioned off the market so much. Not that I tried to do that. That's just kind of how it organically came out. That now your viewership is, is fairly limited, you know, yeah. because you're just doing this one little thing. And maybe that's part of the reason why it's been as successful as it has is because I just focused on one thing. And so I'm talking about gear and, and bikes that these people are using and, and tires that we're using and all this stuff. But the reason why I bring it all up is because my demographics are not there. It's not broad enough where you, where you can make a ton of money off yeah. YouTube ad revenue because there's just not that many people that are searching for dirt bike related content. And even if they are, you're weeding out half more than half of them who aren't going to doing motocross. Yeah. So there's, so you're never going to have enough. Well, it would be difficult. I shouldn't speak in absolutes. It'd be difficult to figure out a way to get enough viewership where your YouTube ad revenue was paying like all of your bills for that. Now there are ways that you could get your views up. I'm not into that deal where you could be, I mean, let's face it, sex sells. So if I wanted to yeah. like, if I wanted to get a divorce from my wife and start like throwing out all this content that is going to get a bunch of like hot blooded 16, 17 year old, 18, 22 year old kids to watch my channel by putting girls in bikinis or whatever. Number one, that would cost me my marriage. Number two, yeah. I don't want, that's not what I want to put out. That's not the image that I want to promote. 
And so I'm kind of like locked in at this thing, which is just slow, steady growth. And, and because of that, Hey, I'm never going to make millions of dollars on YouTube. If I was doing, if I was teaching women how to do makeup, I would have a huge demographic. Yep. If I was teaching girls how to braid their hair, I'd have a huge demographic. If I was, um, what, if I was like a super popular, um, video game person or whatever, because people are making crap tons of money now on social media playing video games. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds insane, but it's true. And, and that, and that market now is super, super saturated. But the point is if I had started it five, six, seven years ago, and I was super popular in the, in the video game scene, then yeah, you could be making a crap ton of money showing, you know, here's a, here's my first, here's my walkthrough of whatever game, because it's this huge demographic, but in dirt bikes there, I just don't think there's enough people out there to realistically make that your YouTube ad revenue, your full-time income. And then you alluded to it. YouTube is always changing, you know, the algorithms constantly and all this stuff. And if you're, you know, if you're a guy like me in a, in a niche market, like I am, I just look at the money that I get off YouTube ad revenue as gravy, but I yeah. have never, I have never counted on it. And I have never even put that into the calculation of like, you know, it's okay. This is going to be 10% or something. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't even know what it is. I, I, every month I get an email from YouTube saying like, oh, here's your, we put a deposit in your account and I click on that email and I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, oh, that went up from last month or, or that went down from last month. And it does, it varies a lot. Like in the holidays, they like in like uh, November, December timeframe, YouTube is like slamming ads on people and, and the, and the, the auctions go up for those ads. I'm never worried about that. I'm not putting in keywords. I'm not doing any of this other stuff. I'm just putting out content that I think is, is, is whatever I'm doing at the time. Yeah. And I'll make more money on YouTube ad revenue in, you know, November and December, which then those checks come mid December and then mid January. And by the time you think you're hot stuff, cause look, I've had all these, my views are going up in November and December, then January rolls around and you get a big slap on the face that says, no one cares about dirt bikes in January and, yeah. and no one is watching your videos. And suddenly your YouTube ad revenue is cut in half. That's crazy. And, and so you can, you can use that and be like super discouraged. Or you can be like, Hey, you know what? I wasn't ever doing this to make a million dollars in YouTube ad revenue. I started this thing and I was like, Oh man, look, you can make money on YouTube. And the first, the first goal that I set in this company was to make enough money off YouTube at YouTube ad revenue to pay for a dirt bike. So I just said, okay, I'm going to see how long it takes me to make $10,000 on YouTube ad, YouTube ad revenue. And that was the hardest money I have ever made in my entire life. Holy yeah. crap. I would have been so much better off to just deliver pizzas part-time. Like, Fair enough. That would have been a way better way. It would have been a way better use of my time in at that time. If you just said, Hey, I want to do a side hustle and make $10,000 and pay for a dirt bike. And I specifically remember thinking like, Hey, when I have finally made this $10,000 off YouTube, YouTube ad revenue, I, it would be so awesome. And I'd almost feel guilty because it was, it was like, you know, so easy. I remember having that thought by the time I had then made years later, when I, when I added it all up, first off, there wasn't $10,000 in my bank account sitting somewhere because I continually had to pump it straight back in. So YouTube would pay me 20 bucks 
and it would go straight back into like creating content. And so at the end of it, okay, I made $10,000 on YouTube ad revenue, but you would look in the bank and go, well, where's the $10,000? It's not here. And it wasn't because it wasn't because I was spending it on coffee or donuts or whatever. It was because I was buying like this set of plastic for this bike and I was buying this part for that bike and whatever. And so it was so anticlimactic. I got to the end of this little goal and where I'm like, okay, look, here's $10,000 made off YouTube ad revenue. It was the hardest money I'd ever made. And the money wasn't even in my account because I'd, it had been nickel and dimed away on other things. And that was a big eye opener for me. So, you know, people are, when people say, Hey, I want to do what you did. Like, what is your, what is your, uh, advice? My first advice is make sure you have a good paying job and don't quit that because, <laughs> because, because you're not going to make money in the beginning on YouTube. You're going to give everything away for years and years and years. And if your path is anything like mine, oh man, you're going to spend a lot of time giving your time away for free, your time and your money away for free, making content that people aren't interested in. Um, and having a bunch of people just criticize you for everything that yeah. you do and you will gain hundreds, if not thousands of people that hate you and you will gain people that will subscribe to you just so that they can run you down. Wow. And you've got to, you've got to be man enough or woman enough to say, I can deal with that. Yeah. I can deal with the fact that hundreds or thousands of people hate me. They doesn't matter what I say. They think I'm a moron and they're just going to be here to be in the peanut gallery and encourage me to fail. And if you're cool with that, then I say, start a YouTube channel. Fair enough. <laughs> Do you feel like they're not even real people though? Like the, the trolls and haters, is it easy to like, just discount them? Just sort of like the trappings of success. You get a thousand trolls, you get a thousand haters. Um, are you able to just like disregard them all the way? No, no, it hurts every time. If someone tells you it doesn't hurt when people criticize me, they're not being honest. Yeah. Now, does that mean that it has to shape your life and shape your future? No, it doesn't. It doesn't have to. But I believe that you can, you can read a hundred comments and if a hundred of them are positive and one of them is negative, what is the one that you will remember? Yeah, that's the asshole. It's human nature. And so what I've had to do is wall myself off from comments at certain times. There are times where I'll go two weeks without looking at comments, especially on YouTube. I'm not as good at doing that on Instagram. And I've gotten to the point now with Instagram where I'm just like, I either need to disable all comments or maybe just stop doing Instagram. Maybe oh, just wow. stop it altogether. Because it's not adding any value to my life. I feel like I'm doing Instagram just because, hey, everyone else is, you know, or whatever. Um, but I don't get paid off Instagram. And all it really does is I put out content, you know, post a picture, post a little video or something. And then, you know, if I'm good, I won't look at the comments. And, and, that, and, and that's how it works best. If I'm not strong enough to resist that urge and that temptation, then I get digging through the comments and I will find somebody who's just like, Kyle, you're such a moron or why do we even follow you or all this stuff negative. And if I'm really good there, I won't engage. And most of the time I don't, but every once in a while I'll just engage and I'll call somebody out. And yeah. then all that's doing is just taking away from my time and energy and, and I don't get, I don't feel any better for it, you know, and 
it's just kind of a downward spiral. And in so many ways, social media is a great thing. And in other ways, it's a disgusting, horrible thing. And so, and that's funny for a guy to say, who's, you know, kind of built this business around social media, but I have to be honest and I have to say, yeah, there's some really, really good positives that come out of it, but there's some serious negatives too. And it, it tends to bring out in some people, it brings out the worst Yeah, and that's unfortunate. And, and you're, you have to figure out a way to deal with those people, or at least deal with the fact that those people exist. And it's not easy. It's totally not easy. I know Joe Rogan, he says like, oh, you just post it and then you run away. If you post something on any social media, Twitter, whatever, you post it and then you don't go back and look at it. And sometimes I'm able to do that. But then for whatever reason, like moth to the flame, sometimes I'll post something and I can't help myself from going to be like, I wonder what people think about this. And that's almost never a good thing as a content creator, at least, at least for me, like my personality, it's usually not a good thing to get into the, into the comment feeds. So. And how's it, uh, on your family? Like, uh, does your wife ever read the comments and, and, uh, I don't know, like, uh, get hurt on your behalf kind of thing, come home to you and be like, Hey, listen, Kyle, like I was reading this stuff. Are you okay? You know, or does she take it personal for her own self? She's so busy doing her own stuff that I don't think she reads a lot of comments either. Cause you know, she's a mom of four kids and she's, yeah. she's building her own uh, business too with, with some friends and things. And so she's so busy that I don't think she's reading a lot of comments, but I know that they have affected her, you know, at times um, it affects like, my sister or my dad or my mom, they'll see things and, you know, it affects them too. Um, so it's just, it's a funny thing. It, it's not, usually it's not good because that's just how we are as humans. We don't, we don't pay attention to the positive stuff. And what has really been helpful, in fact, I should mention this. The reason that you and I are even having this conversation today and the reason that Dirt Bike Channel still exists is because of a select number of really good people that have reached out to me at just the right time. Um, let me, let me, uh, I'll give you one. I'll give you an example of one. So I I'm working on, I'm working with Trello. It's like a little board thing that you can do to, you know, stay productive or whatever productivity software or something. And, um, (laughs) just at the right times, certain people have reached out to me and said certain things that have kept me going. It wasn't the money because most of the time the money hasn't been there. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's an, here's one. There's a guy named Darius. Darius will probably never hear this. I won't share his last name, but his name's Darius. Um, and just at the right opportune moment, he reached out to me over email and he said, and I quote, cause I'm reading it off the screen here. This is something that I keep on in the screen so I can see it every day. He said for every hater, there are nine of us that love what you're doing. And holy crap, it sounds so trivial to say that one sentence could keep me going for months. But it's true. Darius put, with that one sentence, he put enough fuel in my tank to keep me going for months. And to keep, and to keep like wading through the garbage of whatever, you know, and there have been other people that have sent emails and and I've got one printed right here. This one I printed and I'm going to put it up on the wall somewhere. This was just recently. 
It was a guy named Jay King. And he said, and I don't know, you probably won't use the video from this, but you can hear it. You can hear me with this piece of paper. He said, Kyle, I wish I had the words to describe how much it means to have your videos. But if you ever feel like giving up, just know that there are thousands of us watching you and you are changing our writing lives with every new videos. Keep up the damn fine work. And I wish the best for you and your family. And I called that guy and I said, hey, look, I just want you to know that that made a big difference to me. That made more of a difference than anything else. Like if you had gone to my website and you had made a $10 donation, I mean, I'd be very, I'd be very, you know, I'd be thankful for that. But what yeah. you did to just put this down and, and find my email and send it to me is worth more, way more than money. Yeah. Because, because this is validation that like, there are people out there that it's adding value to their lives. And that has kept me going more than anything else. I remember there have been times where I was at supercross races or whatever, dirt bike races, just, you know, with my wife and I, there was one time we were down in, uh, San Diego. This happened a couple of times, but specifically, I remember this one time and uh, this guy just, you know, it's in between races or whatever. And I'm walking through Petco park with my wife. Um, and this guy just comes over to me, like beelines over to me. And he's like, Kyle, I have to shake your hand. And, uh, he said, you saved my life. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. What do you say to that? I, I figured he was just saying that, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, Hey, look, I had this really bad accident and I'm in the hospital. And he's like, and I didn't really, I was just in a low place. And your videos, watching your videos, sitting in the hospital bed was the only reason I wanted to stay living. And I mean, that, that is a powerful thing. And I, I don't know what it was about these videos. I have no idea. Obviously, obviously he's in the minority. Most people are not saying like, Hey, these videos, this schmuck on YouTube are making is the reason I have to stay living. But in now in those moments, he was making it up. He was looking yeah. me right in the eyes, you know, and that is powerful. And it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder how many times in our lives we as individuals say things to other people that really affect them. And I think it happens more, I, I believe it happens more than we know. The question is, what, what are those effects? Are we saying things and doing things that are going to affect people in a negative way? Or are we saying things that are going to be uplifting and because we have that power, you know, we may, we may never, we may never know. And we probably won't like most of the time, 99 times out of a hundred, you'll never know, but you might say something to someone on the street or at church or in a business meeting or whatever. You might say something off the cuff that will stick with that person and they will remember it for years. And we have that power. All of us have that. And all of us are doing it all the time. Like we maybe say something negative to someone that sticks with them and, and makes them, you know, feel like they're fat or they're ugly. Or maybe we say something to someone that empowers them and makes them feel like 
gives them more confidence. And man, I wish that we could do, I wish we could do more of that, like figuring out how to make other people's lives better. And then, and, and going forward, forward with that. And, and I would say, you know, if, if somebody has done something for you that was really powerful, maybe, you know, some content creator or, or some friend or a community, community leader or whatever, if they've done something for you that really meant a lot to you, figure out a way to, to let that person know. Because in my case, those people who figured out a way to let me know that it was super valuable, that gave me the fuel and the strength and the desire and the passion to keep moving forward when, where if they hadn't have reached out in whatever way it was, I might've just given up. I probably would have. That's crazy. That's kind of serendipitous that they would reach out to you just when you needed it. Like, uh, but yeah, you, you've had a huge impact on the dirt bike community, Kyle. I don't, I know it's hard, uh, probably from where you are to, to understand it, but if you think like I'm in a tiny little town of 400 in Alberta, Canada, and, uh, you've had a direct impact on the choices three guys I know have made on dirt bikes and things, you know, and like, uh, it, we're going to make a change on our bikes and we just, we go and we'll, we'll see what Kyle thinks about this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not like everything you do is gospel, but it's a point of view that, um, that we value, you know, because we believe it's genuine and it's honest and you're not, I don't like, as far as we all know, no one, you don't work for any particular, um, company you work for Kyle like you love KTM that's for sure you love beta that's for sure but I don't see them sponsoring your content like they let you ride the bikes and things but uh everything you tell us it it's honest and so there's great value with that yeah no that's true like beta has let me they've lent me a three different bikes I'm not going to do that anymore I I just won't uh KTM's never given me anything um I've done this long enough to know now I just don't like how it feels if I haven't paid full price for something. And so, um, yeah, beta has been the one that has, you know, lent me, let me use the most amount of things, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's not because I don't like beta or anything. I just don't like how I feel when yeah. I'm, when I'm not paying for something. It, it's, it's fun to hear that I'm making a difference in places. And something that you said got me thinking, cause you said you don't work for those people you work for, you work for Kyle. I think I work for everyone else. There are, um, I've had people recommend to me that I should, um, you know, make these relationships like, Oh, you, you need to get to know the head of fly racing and, and you need to know, you need to be on a first name basis with this guy from Yamaha or whatever. And it sounded kind of good, but I, I never really was motivated to do that. And now I know why it's because I, I really, if dirt bike channel, the way that it is structured and the way that it feels right to me, if it's to work, the relationships that I need are with all of the riders. Yeah. I don't need a relationship with KTM North America. I don't need a relationship with Yamaha or Honda or Kawasaki or fly racing or, or recluse or, or whoever like these companies, I need to, I need to deal with those entities fairly and objectively, but I don't need to be on a first name basis with any of them because guess what? They're not the ones writing my paychecks. Yeah. The people, so to like the people writing my paychecks, and obviously it's various revenue streams, but the way that I look at it is my bosses are the general public, the general people riding these bikes. 
And so they're the ones that are going to sign my paychecks. So when I get people reaching out to me over email, you know, if it's, if it's something that I think is better handled over the phone and they left their phone number, I'll call them. And it's funny. They'll, a lot of times they'll be like, Oh, I'm, you know, you didn't need to do that. And, uh, and I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Cause I know you're a busy guy and I've got, I've made it a point now to at least try to explain to them, Hey, look, you are my priority. And they'd be like, well, how could I be your priority? I'm like, because you're in my inbox. And so that means you're the most important thing for me to be doing right now. I mean, if it's, you know, if it's time that I'm devoting to business, obviously my family is, is like, uh, is super important. Right. But if it's during the, you know, my office hours, which that kind of extends to all day long. But if, if I have made the point like, Hey, here's a person in my email, he's got this question. I'm going to help him out. Then they are, they're the highest priority thing right then. Because it's, I need to make relationships with that person. I need that person to know that they can reach out to me and ask me this question. And sometimes they just want to know if I have the same opinion, you know, if, if it's a one-on-one conversation that I, that I had on a video that, like, Hey, I watched your video of this, you know, particular bike or whatever, but I just wanted to call you and, and see if there's anything else that you, you know, that you wanted yeah. to tell me about it. And, and sometimes there is, I'm like, well, explain to me what your, what your concerns are. And then we can address those those individually. And it's fun because I get to say, you are the reason I'm doing this. You are the most important thing um, right now. Because if anyone's going to sign my paycheck, it's going to be you. It's yeah. not going to be KTM. It's not going to be Husqvarna. It's not going to be beta or whatever. It's going to be guys like you that word of mouth, you know, you'll use my parts link or you will buy a t-shirt or something from me when I'm doing a, a dirt bike sweepstakes or something like this. And, and the way I believe that that works is to continue to have that personal touch with people one-on-one, continue to be approachable and respond to people's emails and respond to people's questions in a respectful manner. And, and I think that's how it, it works. So I don't work for Kyle brothers and I work for everyone else. And yeah. if, you can, if you can solve people's problems, that's a way to make a living. You know, the way that we make money is by trading solutions, you know, and in the case of mine, I've kind of figured out a way to the solution is the, what I'm selling is information. What I'm selling is information, validation, trust, uh, you know, a resource. And then people are like, oh, I want to support that guy, you know, and so I'm going to I'm going to use his link when I go to buy parts or I'm going to buy this, you know, little strap from him or I'm going to buy a T-shirt from him and help and help him keep going. And so that's who I work for is, is, uh, everyone. And you're like the, the guy at the parts counter at the, the dirt bike channel shop. <laughs> like we all, you know, cause every, every town's got their little favorite dirt bike store. And there's always the one guy in the parts department who is the guy, the, the Oracle. And you uh, seem to be, yeah, you seem to be that guy for the whole planet. <laughs> so I wish just, I, I wish I had that in my town. I feel like we don't have a, uh, I should keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I'll just right. I'll just keep my mouth shut on that. But I, I wish I had that guy in my town that that I felt like was the oracle that I could just go to. So many people know so much more about dirt bikes than I do. I constantly feel like such a newbie with this, and I'm constantly reaching out to people and asking questions. Like somebody will ask me a question, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. And I'll send a couple text messages out, or I'll send a, a couple emails out to people that I trust because. I realize I don't know everything. I'm still learning every day, all the time. And so I, I have a network of people that I reach out to either by text message or by email and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? How would you answer this question? You know, because I think that we, uh, high tide raises all ships. And if I can get some opinions from other people that I trust, 
um, it's a good thing. And then I kick that back along to somebody else. Or if somebody, you know, they'll reach out and they have this certain issue and I don't know what the solution is. And we talk about it on the phone. We email back and forth. I'll say, Hey, will you do me a favor? When you, when you find out the solution to this, or just let me know what you find and hit me back. And then maybe that's something that'll help the next guy. Because it's funny how sometimes, you know, somebody reaches out to me with a thing. Hey, this happened to me. We talk through it. I'm like, well, let me know what you find. And then that guy has to go solve that problem. And then two weeks later, he hits me back. He's like, hey, Kyle, here's what we found out. It was actually this faulty sensor right here. I put a mental note of that or I'll put it in my note program. And then maybe someone else two months later has the same issue. I dig through my email or I dig through my note program and I'm like, hey, here's something to try. There's a guy two months ago, he came to me with a similar issue. Um, look into this because this kind of solved his problem. And just being that guy to connect the dots for people yeah. is hard, but it's kind of it's kind of fun and kind of rewarding. And then that's another time where they're like, hey, I'm gonna support this guy because he helped me out on this thing. And that's where you're like, all I did was try to solve a problem. I just gave you information. I pass information along and that's somehow it's turned into this weird little business model. So that's sweet. Yeah. Well, you've never claimed to be the expert. In fact, sometimes you'll, you'll straight out say, I am not an expert <laughs> and like, uh, and these are just my opinions or, you know, based off my own experience. So that's always kind of a, like a nice tagline because, it, uh, it is that you, do you listen to, do you listen to, um, there's a guy that does a podcast called his, his name is Dan Carlin. He does a history yeah. podcast. Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? Hardcore history? Yeah, I love that guy. He's awesome. Yeah, so I so this is the first person, this is the first quote content creator that I've ever supported. I still pay him monthly. It's not it's not a lot, but I pay him on PayPal. And yeah. it's for the podcast that he does. And he and I should do this more often, but he constantly in his podcasts, he says, Now look, I'm not a historian. Yeah. And then he'll give you the thing. But it's like, here's a dude who has read 40 books to make this three hour podcast. Yeah. And he spent the last three months of his life kind of delving into this one little moment of time. And then, and he's read, you know, all this, all these works from 12 different historians and then, you know, or 40 different historians or whatever. And then he says to you, Hey, I'm not a historian. And so here's what I think. And it's almost like, a, it's like a little disclaimer. So he can then kind of say whatever he wants. And, and like Great. some of the, some of the, uh, you know, the, I don't know the the repercussions maybe would roll off his back or something, but I feel like it's such a smart thing to say because every time he says, I'm not a historian, what you're, what you're going to hear next is like probably going to be pretty dang good because yeah. he's like, Hey, I don't want to go too far down a limb and I want to just precursor this with I'm not a I'm not an expert. Every time he says that, it's uh, it almost makes me lean in a little bit more because now I'm like, okay, you read 40 experts and now you're gonna tell me what you think based on this information that you've disseminated. And so I should probably do that more and be like, hey, look, I'm not an expert, you know, because it kind of like shields you from some of the criticism. Yeah. But then you can then you can just kind of speak freely. And I think Dan Carlin does that really, really well in, in his little neck of the woods. He's sort of taking the gas out of the engine for the trolls. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Because That's because wrong. then the troll says, well, you're totally wrong. And then the other people will jump on top of him and say, well, he said he wasn't an expert. He said this was just his opinion. Everyone can have an opinion. And so I did that yesterday. I recorded a podcast on uh, jetting and fuel mixing and whatever. I think the video will go up on YouTube tomorrow. 
but I said it, I said it multiple times. I'm like, Hey, I'm not an expert, you know? And then, and then my dad calls me this morning. <laughs> my dad, so it went out, it came out yesterday. My dad, who's a mechanic, a car mechanic, he's retired now, but he called me this morning to tell me the parts that I got wrong about carburetors. And I'm like, dad, I'm like, first off, it was titled 101. It was like the basics. It was 101. The things that you're talking about are in carburetors 205. And you're talking about carburetors in a car that have, that are five times more complex than what I was talking about, you know? So he wanted to call up and, and tell me where I, I got it wrong. But I'm just like, dad, I said, A, that I'm not an expert. And then B, this was carburetor 101. And you want to talk carburetor 205. So it was just kind of funny. That was the conversation I had with my dad this morning. That's sweet. It, it's good to have a relationship with your dad. Like, uh, he'll call you up and bust your balls. <laughs> he does. He he's he's awesome. He's one of those jacks of all trades. And I don't know. It's in his personality. At the end of the call, after he had me all worked up, he's like, "But man, you said so so many good things, and and you were right on this, this, and this." And in my head, I'm literally saying, "Dad, you should have led with that. You should yeah. have led with all the comments and all the things, and then at the end, be like." Oh, but I did, I just did want to bring this one thing up to you. What he did was he gets me on the phone and then he's allowed to tell me like, well, you said this sentence I don't totally agree with. And I'm like, dad, you didn't even finish the podcast because I came back to that later. Oh, so anyway, these fun, fun, fun times. He needs to learn about the good news, bad news, good news letter. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Kyle, I love your show. I don't like the parts that you get wrong. But it's wonderful that you keep putting no content. Have a nice afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't quite that bad, but but it That's was right. it was funny. I probably uh, do the same thing too. I need I need to lead with more compliments than than criticisms. Uh, we all do. Like uh even the best of us probably could do better. Um well I've taken up about an hour of your time, Kyle. Uh if do you want to do your 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 pitch uh telling folks how they can support your channel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best way to support me, you can find me at uh, dirtbikechannel.com uh, or you can find me on YouTube um, if you search for Dirtbike Channel. Um, if you want to support what I've got going on, there are links on my website, dirtbikechannel.com, uh, where you can get, uh, you know, you buy your parts through Rocky Mountain ATV, Motorsport, Amazon. I really, really like the relationship I have with Rocky Mountain ATV. I buy almost all my dirt bike parts and gear there. Uh, super fast shipping. So I like those guys and you can just click on those links on my website and then you shop as normal. So it's pretty cool. Um, those are you, that's usually the, the best way to support me every couple times a year. We'll do dirt bike sweepstakes where we give dirt bikes away. I buy these bikes at my own, on my own dime and I ride them for a period of months. I usually try not to put too many hours on them. Some of the bikes will only have 20 hours on them. Some of them will have 60 hours on them or whatever or or more if we had a test that required more and then we give those bikes away to the people who enter these sweepstakes so it's a pretty cool thing you buy a t-shirt you know or whatever it is buy a hat and you might end up winning dirt bikes i've given away like 13 different dirt bikes now and i'll be giving away two or three more here in the next couple months and i'll probably end up with six more dirt bikes total given away here in 2021 what was the genesis of that idea like to give them away uh it was just one of my buddies kind of brought it up um <clears throat> He, he mentioned to me this other business model that a company in Utah was doing called Diesel Brothers. And they have their own like show on history channel and everything where they're, they would build up diesel trucks and give them away. And you would just go to their website and buy shirts or parts or whatever and get entered into these raffles or these sweepstakes. 
it's super tough. I get more comments from Canadians than just about anybody else because they're like, hey, how come we can't enter in Canada? And the problem is it's legal issues, export laws, and just a ton of red tape. And it makes me so sad because it, it I can really only do it here in the US. If I did it with Canada, I'd have to have a cash option and it opens up all these other things that I have to do, other insurance certificates I have to take out and additional risk that I have to take on to my company. And then we could we could, um, we could offer a cash prize for Canadians, but that only solves half the issue. The other part of the issue is just the customs, getting things across the border. Yeah, It's just kind of a nightmare and I've tried it and it just, it just sucks. It's hard. It like doubles the cost of everything. And what I would need to do is have a, have a, um, like a distribution center in Canada, in Alberta somewhere or wherever. Um, but then I've got to have, it doubles all my costs yeah. and I have to look at it objectively. And I look at, I look at Canada and I say, Oh, Canada, I know your, I know your national anthem and I would love, <laughs> I would love to include you, but I have to look at your population. And right. I say, your population is less than California, which yeah. means I would then be double. Well, in some ways I would double my costs on these promotions because I would have to have a distribution center up there. I'd have to get, I'd have to put product up there and pay all that. And I asked myself, would I do that for just California? And the answer is no. Yeah. If, if I had to do that for California, even though California has a bigger population than Canada, it wouldn't make sense right now in my current business to do that even for, if it was California. And so unfortunately, and I spend so much time just apologizing to Canadians um, because it would make the most sense. Number one, dem number one market to open up to would be Canada because I'm using, I, I do all of US. The second yeah. market I'd like to open up to would be Canada. And the third one would be Australia. Yeah. Australia is even worse. Australia has some of the tightest like sweepstakes laws of anyone in the world. And so I'm just like, holy crap, my demographics are mostly the US. And then second is either... Um, Australia or Canada, depending on the month. And both yeah. of them, I have these huge reasons why I can't really open up the sweepstakes to them. So it's a kind of a tangent, but it's one of those deals. So all the Canadians listening know that I love you and I hear you and I wish it was different. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And if you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three-episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support, and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time.